sometimes we have these conversations and unfortunately we pick on the leadership too much maybe and i think if we're doing our job well as a transformation coach we also maybe more importantly need to help our leaders in in get empathetic with them because they got a tough damn job Everybody to a quality podcast. We are happy this week to have with us Jesse DePriest, DePriest, leadership and transformation coach, also the titular hero of Jesse DePriest Consulting, your performance excellence Sherpa, helping leaders and their teams do their work better. So we got three J's on the show today. First person to fuck up a name gets an award. J cubed. J cubed. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Jesse. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Right on. Thank you, gentlemen, for the opportunity. You know, I didn't call myself a Sherpa. Someone else did. And it just resonated with so significantly. I said, wait, what? What did you just say? They said, was yeah, it the camel or uh... it was not a camel. It was not in a <laughs> desert or in the Himalayas. But I was carrying some weight for some people and I was in the march with them and they appreciated it. So there you well, go. There you go. What a huge blessing. For the people that you serve to call you a Sherpa. I was yeah, touched yeah. and humbled and honored with that title. And I said, hmm, maybe I should pay attention to that and, uh, you know, carry it forward because that's the nature of the work. We know where we want to go. People want to climb a mountain. We have a map and a compass and we can see where we want to go. Uh, but the map and compass won't tell you reality. It won't tell you how swollen a river is or how cold it's going to be or what are you going to do when you get caught in a windstorm? And that's what your Sherpa does. Wait, there's and not an app for that? There's there's not an app for that that I know there's of. Maybe we should app. make one. Not yet. Give it six months. John Harrell and Jake Thacker. There, we messed up the names. Now we can get over Gold Star. Gold Star. Gold Star. Yeah, man. Jesse Harrell. Harrell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, uh, right. Uh, a little bit about me. I grew up on a dairy farm in Alaska. A big family. A dairy farm? Uh, a dairy farm. In Alaska. In Alaska. I, you know what? I didn't even realize they had cows in Alaska. No, they did. And they still do. Not too many anymore. It's tough to compete with big farms. But the reason I share that with you is because uh, I cherish my roots, man. And your upbringing has a big impression on who you are and what you do. So being part of a big family doing the hard work every day, two a day, 365, even on Christmas, those cows got to be milked. You got to do the work. So you can approach that hard work with a bad attitude and being angry, or we can go have some fun. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. So I learned that early on, that if we're milking cows on Christmas Day and it's a shitty job, literally, um, and we're going to go do that with a lot of fun. And it was the place you wanted to be because that's where all the fun was. Uh, even though it was hard work, it was uh, we, we, we approached it with a spirit of joy. So that's when my tagline is about helping leaders and their teams do their work better with serious joy. It's serious hard work, but we can choose a good attitude and how we do it. 
you know, I think a lot about, I worked at a Dairy Queen when I was a teenager. Not the same thing. A Dairy Queen is not the same. It was the greatest job of my life. Very little manure in a Dairy Queen, Jake. For whatever reason, like. There's very little dairy in a Dairy Queen. Yeah, very little dairy. That's probably true, too. But for whatever reason. Are we going to actually let Jake tell this story or should we just keep keep interrupting him? I I feel like we should do that. (laughs) Keep going, Jake. We're listening to you. What what I the point I like to bring forward in my life is whatever reason they had found out how to make this place like seductively awesome. Like people look forward to go to work with your seven or eight best friends and just eat ice cream and fart around. And we were really good at the job too, at serving the customers, getting the food out or whatever. But they also, whatever reason, and I couldn't describe this essence, like really made you want to be there all the time. And so I just think in, in all of our future endeavors and like in our conversation today, like your tagline, like is how to capture that is very okay. near and dear to my heart. Amen, brother. That, that's what it's about. Can I just jump forward and just share something I learned this week that it really slapped me upside the head again? Absolutely. Listen to a nice webinar by a gentleman named John Chapman, who made a presentation through AME, Association for Manufacturing Excellence. And this is the presentation he had made at a conference. Well, they repeated it, but brought him back to make commentary. And um, just the whole point around creating an environment in our workplace uh, where people can thrive and grow as human beings is the priority of work. Um, traditional management teaches us that people are a resource to achieve the, the, the company's purpose. And he learned as a CEO of his organization, which was massively successful, by the way, using lean and appropriate leadership and changing that focus to engage the people to make awesome places to work. And uh, there's more to unpack about that story, but that's the nature of the work. So he made one comment, and this is the reason for the story, that he implemented Lean, committed to that as a CEO, and the results are self-evident. Just go read the story, it's pretty awesome. And he met Jim Womack along the way, and they talked about Lean, and Jim was you know, congratulating him about that success. And he said that you did a you know, good job, Jim bringing this to the world, but you shouldn't have called it, you should not have called it lean. Because when we say lean, everyone starts to think about waste reduction. And that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is a authentic leadership in listening to our people about the reality of work and making it better. He said, you should have called it listen. And I was like, huh. So I, I, I get, I call dibs. <laughs> I'm going to work that into my stuff, Jake and John. No, I didn't tease. But I, I just thought that was a really cool idea. We should call it listen. Yeah, your listen transformation. Well, yeah. I think historically, we've talked about this on the show before, um, probably just because of the nature of business in America and the way that we think over here, um, we really latched onto TPS really quickly and we kind of forgot about TMS, right? So everybody wanted to know how does Toyota mechanically do stuff, right? What's SMED? Teach me that, right? And they forgot that all stems from the management system, which is all about the people, you know, and that philosophy there. Um, and I, I mean, I deal with this all the time. I'm sure you do in your consulting work where the first conversation is we want fill in the blank, more revenue, uh, less waste, um, you know, more retained earnings. We're not hitting our hurdle rate, you know, whatever it is, tends to be in, you know, CFO language, but um, nobody's saying, you know what, uh, 
I don't, I don't think we're very good leaders. I need help with that. You know, right. uh, it's, right. it starts with like execution. Right. Um, but that's not the foundation, is it? Right. Um, and how do we know we're being effective as leaders? I think it begins with the right mentality and mindset that leadership is not something you deserve, that you get put into this position in a role of, uh, of leadership because you've been at the company so long, you did so many things, and I deserve that. The leadership is the world's greatest privilege and honor. Like you are, you have the sacred honor of taking care of people in their lives as a leader. And you have 40 times better opportunity than their church to make an impact in their life. 40 hours at work a week versus one hour of work in the church, right? So what an awesome opportunity, not just to do good work for the organization, for mutual shared prosperity, but to make an impact in people's lives. And if, if we can first start with the right mindset, then we can you know approach our people and then use the tools and be much more effective in it, right? What do you think, right. Jake? Right, and John has a, John and I, I'm not gonna give all the credit to John because I was there when he thought it up, but <laughs> we had a, a question we like to ask uh, uh -oh. leaders when we first engage. And that question is, how do you create value for your business? And you would be amazed at how many people can answer that question. Like they just yep. don't have an idea yep. at all. Like, uh -huh. Well, if we, if we go back to our roots and think about the five principles of lean, the first question is define value. For the trifecta, I like that idea. Trifecta first, value for the customer, second value for the employee, the people, and third value for the business, the company, the shareholders. And yep. I think that's totally the right first question to ask because we don't know what the heck it is we're trying to do. I don't right. know and what's my role in that? It's like, it's like I, I don't know where I'm going on vacation. So how the heck are you going to know what to pack? <laughs> Am I packing yeah. Bermuda shorts or hiking boots? Right? Like, yes. So we know where we're going first <laughs> and why. Key important point, why we're going there. And we're now going I can to pack, pack it all. the right tools and engage the people appropriately to achieve that. Which yeah. is just the foundation inherently in Kata too, by the way. You said maybe next time we'll talk about the improvement coaching Kata, but that's that's yeah. it. We, we don't need to use the word Kata. It's like, what are you trying to do? What but are some of the? But that is something that we do, right? right. In yeah. business it and leadership, something. like we pack for any eventual vacation, right? That's really mm -hmm. a lot of the inefficiency that we talk about when we talk about mm -hmm. waste is the built-in just-in-case, which is the result of not having clear vision, direction, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. And you do have mm -hmm. to prepare, you know, for every eventuality to take care of the team, to take care of the business, to take care of the customer. It's not okay. founded on, um, you know, bad principles, right? It's founded on good principles, but right. the lack of that vision, that clarity, et cetera, requires you to plan for eventualities that, you know, may or may not happen you might not even know the risk curve, you know, what the probability yeah. or eventuality is, right? Yeah. So yes. transformational yeah. change, I know you're skilled at that and that's a lot of your focus, you know, with your uh, consulting company. Um, it's something that matters to many business leaders that I talk to. We're here, we have a vision to get over here, right? And 
part of your job, you know, the Sherpa job is how do we get there? You know, how swollen are the streams, stuff like that. So transformational change, if it was easy, we would just go from here to here, right? Yeah, there, there would just be go, no wait. Just go climb the mountain, man. It's right we would there. just go climb the mountain, right? It's right there. Um, it's so, but there's done. challenges, right? right? And I'd really like to spend a little bit of time there with you, um, you know, in your experience and working with folks and companies. Tell me about some of those challenges that companies face getting from here to there. Every, yeah, uh, thank you. And I'm going to throw this back at you, but here's what I, what I, every organization has their own unique set of challenges. Right now, I would say if there's one common theme that is you know, capacity, you know, human capacity, supply chain capacity, given all the disruption variation that's going on in our work environments, that is by far the number one thing. We want to improve, but I'm down 15, 20% in labor. I, my material's way late. So how do you manage that? <laughs> um, and I think in those environments, you're in chaos. Chaos requires intervention of leadership to like help people get control and just manage the day. And every day is gonna be different. It's hard to be standard and stable when you're in that environment. So first put things in perspective, man, like maybe um, let's temper our expectations based on our current reality. Yeah, we want to climb that mountain, but we're not client, we're not capable of climbing a mountain right now because we have this variation and disruption going on. Until we can get that under control a little bit, it might be really hard. So I think uh, I just wrote jotted down a couple of things. You know, challenges um, organizations and leaders are likely to face: capacity. Do we have the capacity? Do we have the capability? Meaning the knowledge and skills and in things. Um, I think if there's a a trip up uh a snare on the trail it's thinking it has to be perfect it's not gonna be perfect i'm not sure how today's hike is gonna go but we're gonna make a march we're gonna go we're gonna make an advance and we might trip and stumble along the way and that's all right that seeking perfection all the time is um a risk um organizational add is a massive <laughs> risk and disruption uh, attention deficit disorder from leadership is probably one of the biggest things I've seen in organizations that disrupts uh, achievement of their purpose and vision because the shiny object disease is real. We don't have a methodology to temper new ideas and prioritization of problem solving. And every few weeks, the leader's got another big idea. And the thing we were doing before suddenly isn't important. And we got to be super careful with that. Because the more we do that, A, it's firefighting. It's the bad leadership behavior where we make assumptions, jump to conclusions, and then tell people what to do. And B, the more we do that, it creates the possibility for organizational learned helplessness where people just start to not do work because they know the leader's going to change and come tell us what to do something different later on. Uh, and then the obvious, maybe last one I just jotted down on top of my head is just, you know, functional uh, focus. Otherwise known as you know, priority, prioritizing resource efficiency over value stream or flow efficiency, and I'm going to advocate what's best for me and my team over what's best for the system. We don't have any methodology or way as a leader to know how the whole system is performing. Um, so we get tripped up by thinking that what's best for me and my team and my function is the most important thing for the organization. 
And oftentimes, I'll finish with this comment, the reason we do that is because of the way we've created our incentives. And people will behave according to their incentives. So if we're not moving down the 20 mile march every day, uh, we need to look for some of those things as potential root causes and, and change some things up as leaders to do that. What do you guys think? What trips it up? Well, I think that if I was going to start with your capacity comment, that that's heavily intertwined with the ADD comment, where it's self-inflicted that they're yeah. picking the, well, I should do this. Why well, should do that? Why well, should do this? Why well, should do that? And that stems from not having clarity on how you create value. Yeah. So with real clarity on what that looks like, you stop this. Well, it would look nice if I did that. It would look nice if I did that. It would look nice if I did that. And instead kind of know the directive you're flowing. And like a lot of, a lot of work that I've been involved in has just been that. It's been eliminating the 50 things you focus on, determining one that's going to give you the value you're after and just zone in on delivering the one thing. This is uh, really key. Uh, and Jake, I listened to one of your other podcasts and you made a really good point. It's like it does, the, the system operating system you use is less important than your commitment to one, like pick one and do it right. and focus right. on it and do it well. Uh, and I think it's true about a transformation effort. There are many different models about how to go about. This. Some people say, start with value stream map and then do current state and do Kaizen to improve that. I've got a whole nother model and a book around a different lean, a lean transformation model that says start with structure and then begin with lean daily management and then build problem mm -hmm. solving. And then you can bring people together in line. There's a host of models. And I would say part of your ADD comment is we get confused because we don't have a lot of experience with a different right model. What, what's the right model for me? And I would say, you know, here's some options. What do you look, what do you think, which one would work best for you based on your circumstances and just pick it and do it and as you have that experience and go along you'll find what works and when you can adjust but don't we we get we get lost in the in the fog because mm -hmm. i am not committing to one thing and i'm trying to learn about all of them before i decide yeah, it's a perfectionist thing just like your mm -hmm. other comment it's yeah, a perfectionist to help thing. you like here's based on what you see your organization i'm recommending this like pick this as a model it's going to be good for you to get started don't worry about all the other models, right? And just, so I think that's key to, to combat yeah, the ADD. I think, there's some, uh, I think there's some fear there as well, right? So you've got uh, leaders who um, kind of enjoy the fog of war, like they need it to take cover. Um, <laughs> yeah. You'll have like some ADD that's, you know, I, I knew a guy, great guy, um, and our customer was um, a good but challenging customer and, the organization had probably bit off more than they could chew with this customer. And we uh, kind of weren't executing very well. I say we, I wasn't involved, just knew mm -hmm. of it. And mm -hmm. every like eight to 12 months, this leader would restructure his org. And he would do that so that the customer had to relearn all these relationships and that would take weeks or months. And then they would say, you know, your predecessor was working on this thing for us. Let's start working on it and fail again and then restructure the org, right? Um, clever approach to delay the inevitable. And, you know, credit where due, they figured out how to serve this customer well and ended up retaining them. But it was an example where, you know, fog of war and, and um, obfuscation was necessary for survival. 
And in environments where, you know, we talked about the incentivization, well, that's important, right? If your bonus is based on share price, then you're going to spend your money buying back shares instead of investing in new technology, right? Right. But there's negative motivation as well. And if you're in an organization where people are punished for performance outcomes, um, it's very difficult to kind of clear the fog and be mm -hmm. honest about where things are and start experimenting, right? Mm -hmm. Because the foundation for you know that scientific approach to improving your business is dealing with things the way they really are. And that takes the skill of removing judgment. It takes the skill of, hey, we don't have to get emotional about this. It's just the state of the business. But there can be structural things in place that you know, continue to promote people, you know, kind of working against what you're trying to do. Yeah. Fog of war and everything you just described is you know, make me think of a so traditional managed organization is management by objective. It's heavily laden with carrots and sticks as our primary motivator, right? We have a goal, you achieve the goal, good for you, you get a bonus. You don't achieve the goal, sorry, but you're not a high performer and here's a pink slip potentially. Mm -hmm. And that's antithetical to lean leadership in what we're trying to do and help everyone be successful for mutual prosperity. So uh, the thing that's lacking, I think, in a traditionally managed organization is a crystal clear, common shared objective that we're all striving for to achieve. And we know that the work that we're doing, how that contributes to that common shared objective. And we win and lose together around that thing. One of the most fun things I like to do when I first engage a client is I put them in a simulation because we typically start with some head knowledge, right? So we're talking about these things. So we'll give them some vocabulary and things like that and the plan what we're going to do. But I quickly put them into a hands-on simulation in the classroom. And I don't want to share my secrets too much here. You, you got to hire me to find out, right? But, <laughs> yeah, you got to pay for this. Here's, the, right, here's right. what it is. I, I, I'll I just make bleep you, this I whole section out. a job in the classroom. And it's a simple job. A simple job, but we set up a visual display with the standard SQDCP uh, metric board, and I have them do the job. I mean, we define safety, and then they have to measure themselves in safety. We define quality. I don't tell them I'm going to measure speed, but I put speed up there. We talk about teamwork and employee experience. And oh, by the way, they have to define what their standard is for teamwork before we start. And so I have five or six measurables on the board. And every time they do the job, we record how they did relative to their standard. Right? Okay, cool. And they keep iterating through the job. Every single iteration that they do it, I'm only asking one question. And I just I pick one of the measurables and we'll tell you which one. And they say, please do better here. And here's why. And I make up a funny story. It's like, you know the sales and marketing team were out talking to our customers and our customer told us that our competitor can do this job this good. And if we can't find a way to improve our process to get to that level of performance, we're at risk. So please help us solve the problem. Do it again. And they do the job again and they get to that goal. And the, you know, long story short, they go from level X performance and in about eight or 10 iterations, they're at a level of performance that they never would have dreamed of at the beginning. But it, but in every single metric on the board, the reason I'm sharing this is everything got better. 
safety got better, quality got better, teamwork got better, their personal experience got better, and the one key measurable that we used to drive that improvement clearly got better. But I didn't drive it by saying improve safety, quality, deliver teamwork experience and everything. It just said improve this one thing. And I think that's true in the real, in the real environment where if we can just agree on that one common shared objective that can drive our improvement efforts and we focus on that, we will achieve that because we're all focused on that. And all those other things will get better too as a happy consequence of our work. And there's a fantastic case study about this. Maybe you guys have talked about this in another podcast uh, from Paul O'Neill, you know, in the Alcoa story. You familiar with that? We talked about I am that. Yeah. Um, why don't you share it for our, for our listeners? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's one of my favorites. So, and I'm going to mess up some of the details. Let's just roll with it. All right, we'll get them just uh, Alcoa Aluminum uh, Manufacturing Company, large publicly traded corporation, was going in the is that performance was bad. They're in the red. Uh, Paul O'Neill was the new CEO. He did his due diligence and did his investigation, and had his first press conference and stood up to the podium, all the shareholders want to know what the new boss is going to do and said, we are going to make Alcoa world-class in safety. All the shareholders ran to Wall Street and said, sell your stock. There's a hippie in charge of Alcoa. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. You know, hands are raising saying, what about investments and in technology and divestitures and stuff like that? And he said, I don't think you heard me, right? Paraphrasing, uh, we are going to make Alcoa world-class and safety, number one, period, that, that's it. That, that is the one thing. And he had, he was very deadly serious about it. He had unwavering resolve around that. And, he, and it happened, like he personally demonstrated his commitment to that number one, most important thing. Within a few years, the company, not even, I think shorter than that, within a year or two, the company was back in the black. Within a few years, they quintupled profits. They did achieve world-class. Oh, by the way, their safety performance, when they started, it's not like it was worse than worse of the worst. They were typical, average. Man, it wasn't great. It wasn't the worst either. Um, but he picked that as the thing. So I, and I, I think reflect on this. Like, what, what would you have to do to transform a company to be world-class in safety? First, you got to get everyone aligned to that. Leaders are involved. Demonstrate your commitment as a leader that I'm not kidding. I'm taking this very seriously. And he even gave you know people in the plant permission to call his personal phone number if they found an issue that wasn't being addressed. And it happened. He had a call in the middle of the night. One of the union workers said, "Hey, this conveyor belt that was taking this big ingot off the machine off the off the off the machine was broken, so they couldn't move this huge ingot from here to here. The conveyor broke. They had to carry it." And a guy called and said, you said, if we have a major safety issue to call you, oh, I'm calling you. He called the plant manager by 5 a.m. the next day, that conveyor belt was fixed and they got it done. So just demonstrating the commitment, the unwavering resolve and listening to your employees and follow up to your promise. My point being, what would you have to do to improve safety besides the leadership commitment? I think about it this way. It's like, where, well, where are the injuries? Somebody somewhere is doing work with their eyes and hands and they're getting hurt. So if you want to solve that problem, you have to go to that place where somebody's doing something with their eyes and hands and change the process to 
avoid or reduce or prevent the injury. You have to change the process. And when you do, when you change the process for the purpose of safety, guess what? Quality is going to go up. Speed and delivery is going to go up. Cost is going to go down. Teamwork is going to go up. Employee engagement. And I think that's just a really cool example in a, in a case study. Oh, by the way, if you're interested, there's a book called Habitual Excellence. I think Mark Graben and others were like editors on it. And it's a fantastic, it's, it's not really a, a book, it's a collection of his speeches. Um, and his philosophy around that is fascinating. So good. All right. How about you? What do you think? Mark Graben, super fan, checking in here. Uh, but yeah. I, do think, I do think a lot of what you is said. It's okay if we drop names like that. I don't mean to drop names. Oh, oh yeah. Well, considering you're credit, one week credit, behind. Credit where credit's due. Can, can we say the order of airing, John? Is that something we can put out there? What'd you say? Yeah, I mean, by the time your episode airs, Mark's Mark's will have aired the week so prior. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we we can name drop people that have been on the show, right? That's favorite. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Right, yeah, he's a he's so, a good friend. You know, when I was yeah. over at his place having coffee the other day, we were kind of talking yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, right. You're probably giving and, him tips uh, and advice about his next yeah. book or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that, <laughs> that, that that measures of success book you wrote. That was pretty good. You know, but here's some ideas you could do better. <laughs> Yeah, I really it appreciate it. Yeah, I, I took all my notes and turned them into a book like that. I thought that was cool. So, yeah, anyway, <laughs> good job, Mark. Well, unlike you, John, Jesse quoted me from previous podcasts. Yeah, so it was good. Hell yeah. yeah, it was good. So, um, it was good, brother. Yeah, challenges, right, to transformational change. Um, you mentioned leadership ADD, right? Shiny object syndrome. Um, so, as, you know, like the, the lean guy in me or whatever wants to propose a hypothesis, go out and do hypothesis testing, you know, find out like, what's the root cause? Why are they behaving this way? We can't do that on the podcast as much as I would like to. Maybe we'll do that someday. Take a lot of editing. Um, but let's hypothesize a little bit, right? What is it in your experience, right, in real life that has driven this behavior from, from leaders? Open what question. do you think, Jake? Let's let's let Jake take a first stab at this. Before we can't let this get to air, John. But I'm going to give you a joke that Mark Graven gave me over dinner. Seriously, Mark Graven. Mark Graven gave it to me over dinner. And Mark Graven told that to me. It was actually over breakfast, not dinner. So, do you think the utensil evolves from the type of food, or the other way around? This guy named you know Mr. Fork came along and he invented Thomas Fork. Thomas, Thomas Fork. Fork. You asked a provocative question. Did the utensil come first or the food? And it reminds me of another provocative question to throw back to you. What makes the sound? The bell, the hammer, or the connection of the two? What makes the sound? I mean, it, it really depends on, depends on how you define the word makes the sound right because well, what happens is when the hammer hits the bell it creates longitudinal pressure waves in right. the air which is a in bad the, transmitter which, of energy which is the same as sound <laughs> thank you jesse well, thank you right? i'm not alone in this shit Wait. john's like well what well, happens sort of because i mean just answer the question line. john answer the question john i am so that long longitudinal pressure wave activates the incus malleus and stapes, which is interpreted by the brain right. as sound. Which gets um, the inner ear membrane and vibrates and creates a nerve yeah. uh, trigger, yeah. which you interpret as sound in your brain, yeah. right? Um, 
In so fact, it's what you sound like to me right now might be something completely different to Jake, and I would not even know. You might, for right, all I know, you right. sound like a squeaky mouse to John. Let's get back to the point. The bell, so the, point is, the hammer, a, or the interaction of the two. What makes the sound, Jake? The interaction of you the two. Well, I didn't finish. I get to, I get to finish all my right, answer. Right. That's how easy you could answer it. No, it's a no, <laughs> it's a no question, right? I don't know. It's a false. It's a false trinary. You know, the, like those three don't. They don't go right. Because hmm. it's not. It's think, an let's entire think about physics in the complex. context of lean. I think this is an interesting question. Like we have people, we have leaders, we have methods and process, and each of those standing alone doesn't do a thing. It's the interaction of them all that produces the value. The longitudinal pressure. Then we get the right sound that we want and everybody's happy. The hammer's happy. The bell's happy. The interaction was good. So you're saying I just ruined your point by getting stuck on physics. Kind of. That's kind of what Kind of a lot. Kind of what I'm hearing there. All right. Back to the point. What were we talking about? (laughs) We're talking about leadership ADD and... You know, oh, yeah. we can't run an experiment, right? But what we can discuss our experiences. Um, and Jake was about to discuss his experiences on leadership ADD and what drove that behavior. So the, the primary thing that I see <clears throat> across all industry is that just once at some point in time, and leadership could have changed, process could have changed, but just once some human in charge of something said, you know what? Somebody took an action that wasn't warranted of their own volition, and they get rewarded for it. So because of that, the only rewards in the system currently from somebody's assessment, even if it's true or not, just somebody's individual assessment is I get rewards by just doing this one shiny thing. And so as long as that pervades, that's the perception that exists within the system. Everybody's saying, I wanna get ahead. I mean, let's, let's just be real for a second. Work is a rat race, right? We're all trying to get ahead as far and high as we possibly can at all times, unless we've relegated ourselves to just safety and writing the coats of retirement. So as we're trying to do that, there's a system in place that incentivizes that behavior. And that, like much to your point, that's what Lean is trying to defenestrate and like remove from the process. We behave according to our incentives. Uh, always, always. I think of my wife all yeah. the time. Like if she's yeah, going to cook yeah. dinner, there's a certain ABC I need to do, right? And I'm damn sure going to do it, <laughs> you know, because I, yeah, I want yeah. the incentive. So we, we, yeah. So in the right environment, create the right incentives and get people aligned to right to the right thing, and then then we can reduce organizational ADD. Uh, yeah, without the mechanism to do that, then I'm going to advocate what's best for me and my team and my functional department. Oh, by the way, I'm going to do that in an unstructured way. I'm just going to, I'm kind of reacting to my environment. And someone yeah. presents a neat idea to me. I was like, oh, that's cool. I want that. But we don't, we're not applying that solution or that idea to a root cause or is the right priority to solve the problem I'm trying to, trying to achieve. It's a problem I'm trying to solve. It's just a neat idea over here. Um, and it, it, it can be massively frustrating for people yeah. in the organization to experience it. I mean, a leader may be thinking that this is a good thing and we need to do that, but, uh, you know, it's okay. I think it's our job, you know, as lean coaches to come back and say, okay, neat idea. Yeah. Uh, what problem does that solve? How does that help us achieve this thing we're trying to achieve here? And if it does, where does it fit in its priority of work of all the other things that we could do to solve the problem? And if it, yeah. if we do that analysis and it pops to the top as, man, this is now 
most important thing we could do, and we all agree, then focus on that. But yeah. we just have to be careful how often that occurs too. Do it right now, John, right? Yeah, so a real life example, right? There was a site that had a specific uh, challenge to execution. Across, uh, a failure mode, we'll just say that, you know, didn't have proper controls in place, right? Preventive controls. And so a very lean um, solution was proposed that would have required uh, virtually no retraining, um, very low cost to implement. Sounded good so the, far, John. Sounded good so far. A leader in the org that didn't work at this site, but was responsible for the site, um, said, no, we're not going to do that. We are going to do this instead. And the substitute involved artificial intelligence, cameras, robots, very expensive, very complicated, very risky, um, you know, hadn't been tested and so on and so forth. And it, it was so bizarre to me of a response, right? That I immediately wanted to know what's the motivation here. Mm. Right? That's it's, it's not a rational thing to do, right? It's like if you're, you know, have a, a, a pet and they need to relieve themselves. You just like open the door, go outside, take care of your business. They come back inside, right? And somebody comes along and says, no, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to build an electric moped, train the dog how to ride that, and then it's going to ride to the park and do its business, and then it's going to come back, right? Ridiculous, right? So it, it was, but it had to be rational for some reason. Like in the, given the right context, it must have made sense. Otherwise, why would you endorse that? Right. And the first thing that came to mind was somebody at corporate said, Hey, we're going to purchase this doodad and you're going to make it work in your network. Right. But that wasn't the case. Um, it turns out that this uh, particular company incentivized leaders to have um, imaginative ideas. The great ideasmen. The great ideasmen. And they were currently emphasizing like using technology to overcome problems. And so literally the, the compensation and incentivization structure for this org, which was completely detached from reality, right? Like, that's not a Gemba statement. We're going to use technology to solve our problems. Why? Right? That's not based on Gemba. That's, I don't know. You went to a tech conference and now you've got a, a shiny bug up your butt. Um, you know, it's, it's not based on reality, but that yeah. was what was in place. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah it just it drove bizarre. It drove truly bizarre behaviors. By the way, that project was never implemented, completed, or worked. But they probably invested a bunch of money and time and resources on it for a while, mm-hmm. and, and throughout every other improvement along the way. You know, yes. In yeah. and, and, you know, and go back to the capacity point. You just consumed a bunch of capacity for this thing, and it didn't work. Well, I mean, yes, yes, and. Um, First, the first note I wrote down is you're telling the story, John. I, I agree. I have a similar experience with an organization that was a good company, man. Good, good product, profitable, but a lot of waste, a lot of opportunities to be better. And a lot of people in the process. 
so we're trying to engage with the traditional approach around lean leadership and get a management and get people engaged in their work in the process thinking to make improvements. Meanwhile, there was a significant investment and focus around technology. A big, big focus and investment. And my conversation was, boss, that's awesome. I, I see it. I get it. I, I think that would work. That's really good. And in the meantime, you still have 250 cars in the parking lot, right? We can't abandon this or take our eye off the ball here for and only solely focus on this new technology whiz wing, whiz bang thing we need. I believe that could be good, but how do we bring them together? It can't be either or and or. And especially as the leader, you can't you can't take your eye off the ball over here and leadership development and engaging with the people while you're focusing and, and pursuing this new technology. Here's one other thought that I have, John, as you were saying that story is that uh, a different organization has innovation as one of their strategic priorities. I was like, oh, okay, in spirit, I think, I think I know what that means, but I don't know what to do other than go be more technology. Yeah, there's no clarity creative. there. There's right. no clarity there. Right, right. So, so without the clarity, what are leaders to do? And I had lead, you know, executive leaders in the organization then saying they went after a shiny object and we came back and challenged that. It's like, that's interesting. Let's, let's assess it and help you figure out if that's the right thing to do. And we, and one of them it was not. Like I did the business analysis and looked the problem to solve. And it's like, boss, this is not a good idea. We should not do this. And you, we need to go back. We need, it's my duty to say no and I recommend you say no. But, the, but that leader had such a need and desire to have something on his list that had to do with technology and innovation because that's what the enterprise said we should prioritize. And, and if I don't have something on my list that says technology, then I'm failing. And I think that's super unfortunate. We missed, we missed the point entirely. So the learning from that for me and hopefully for the organization was that the way we articulate what our strategic priorities are is super important. So innovation as a strategic priority might be okay in spirit, but it's still not good enough because I'm kind of saying I want innovation, but I'm not saying for what purpose or what outcome. I think we need to state our, our strategy as a vision of excellence about what good looks like. And that is the priority. Innovation is one way I could get there. But at a, at, at that thing as of it in of itself is not the priority. The priority is what is value to the customer, the employee, and the shareholder. And how do we define that in objective measurable terms so I can state a problem and we can start working to solve problems as an enterprise to achieve that. And maybe innovation is part of the solution, but it's not as a thing, its own priority. Man, you got me fired up, John. Heck yeah. Heck Dang, yeah. boy. I mean Technically, a cabbage-flavored dilly bar is innovation, right? So, oh, that sounds like yeah. Innovation doesn't mean good, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, you flip that around. A Snickers-flavored had a cabbage. Now you're talking. Perfect, perfect. You know, yeah, I, you we go. just had a nice uh, social engagement with a group of friends last night. It was great. We had a birthday. We had three kind of sweets: chocolate cake, a Lithuanian tort, and uh, Dunkin' Donuts. And I said, you know what? If we could take the Dunkin' Donut and turn it into a protein biscuit without changing its flavor, you would be a billionaire. 
Because I would See, buy this that. is where <laughs> this is where <laughs> tech needs to take us, right? Genetic engineering needs to engineer kale that tastes like a dilly bar. If we did that, I mean, everyone good. would be healthy. Then, okay. then technology would be. Man, we have gone off off the rail, Jake. Get us back <laughs> on the rail. I was going to keep us further off the rail with a tangent, but uh, I was wondering if that company happened to be American Airlines because when you go to the restroom here, at least in DFW, they now have a TV by each restroom. And in the TV, it's like there's two stalls open. There's three people pooping, two peers and a hand washer. I'm like, this is innovation for like the wrong reason. Just stop. But that's literally a thing. You go to DFW airport, they have a, a thing that gives all those details. I'm like, well, that's it. That's fascinating. Seriously, I'm going to look for that. Yeah, it's a, it doesn't tell you what they're up to, but it's like there's Good three Lord stalls available, person. two in use, a urinal huh. open. Gives all the details, like way too much analytics around a bathroom. I'm like I've never really experienced in the line in the bathroom to be a priority problem for me. Yeah, sometimes it can be a nuisance, but most of the time it's not that big of a deal. So again, like great story, but it's a real example around prioritization of problem solving. Is that really the problem to be solved? That's the of biggest the problem American Airlines has. Of our experience as a traveler. Yeah. Is that the thing? <laughs> I don't know if that anybody, explains a lot, actually. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know, John, Jesse, if you guys have something similar. I might be the only one in, in the universe, but I'm a home pooper. And if I'm gone for 30 days, I will hold it until I get back home. I am not walking through the American Airlines <laughs> not go for there. any reason. <laughs> this is, you're making my editing job yeah, so you, difficult. You so. <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of what we uh, a lot of what we just talked about was um, really related to systems and structure and incentivization, um, which to sum up, you know, for people listening who might be contemplating transformational change, like we need to climb this mountain. What are some challenges I might face? What got you here won't get you there. Mm -hmm. The thinking process is incentivization that got you here. Otherwise, you'd already be up there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to keep in mind the structures, the systems, the incentivization, positive and negative, those affect your ability and they're not going to get you up there. So you need to be aware of that. Um, but I wanted to throw another one in there, which is coming to terms with the fact that not everything you do is going to work and rolling back change. And this is tied into the last one because I've seen senior leaders in businesses that were uh very fearful of rolling back change. They were afraid of what it would look like if they said, hey, we tried something and it didn't work, right? We failed. Um, there wasn't space for that in the org, so to speak. And I've seen that as a challenge for companies trying to improve where they'll try something. And, you know, again, lean guy coming out, I think in terms of like iterative, iterative experimentation, but they'll try something and the experiment, you know, says, hey, nope, this isn't the way to go. And instead of learning from that and, and rolling it back, they'll keep pounding that square peg into that round hole. Right. Um, so I see that as a challenge sometimes, you know, with companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, maybe one of the more challenging circumstances to work through, because you could argue the counter to that, that you haven't done enough yet for that thing it may be the right Always. change but you have not sufficiently employed enough energy for long enough to make it work so don't give up yet man don't give up so how do you know john that's the question how do you know that this is 
the wrong peg the type of hole, right? Um, I think that, yeah, so as an antidote, clearly we should be doing some reflection. We should doing check. We should be bringing that, uh, if we're doing it in a value stream team environment with a cross-functional team, they should be consistently, frequently looking at their work and their results and making adjustments along the way. And hopefully if they're doing that well as a value stream team, they're going to they're going to discover those little mis missteps on the journey and they get back on the trail before they get way off in the wrong valley. You know what I mean? It's like in your Sherpa, hopefully is guiding you. Like, well, hold on. We need to stay on this path. You're getting off the path. But if you do get off the path, that's okay. Recognize that and get back on the path. So maybe sometimes you know the result is because we've been driving so hard and so fast without stopping and looking at the system and taking that bigger picture view and say, is this still the right path? Are we in the right valley or not? And, and it's that the nature of that work. So I don't know. It, it's um that's tricky business, I would say, and part of part of the job. Yeah, all, all yeah. lean transformation is tricky business, but Jesse, don't you have some exciting updates in this world? I do. Uh, thanks for asking. I forgot we hadn't said that yet, Jake, because we had such a good time talking about it before we started recording. Uh, yeah, so as of Friday, I'm no longer a W-2 employee, and I'm fully committing as an independent consultant for this work, man. Um, awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um it is my purpose to help leaders and their teams do their work better and approach that work with serious joy. My values. It is serious work because we're impacting people's lives and livelihoods. And uh, we can, and then you have a massive opportunity to make an impact, good or bad. <laughs> so we got to take it seriously. But we approach that work with a spirit of joy, meaning um, we choose the right attitude. Regardless of our circumstances, it might be raining out. But I can't change that. I got an umbrella, and we can still go do the work, man. And uh, we don't we engage our teams in a good way. Um, we can focus on the process and the problem, and avoid the politics and the personalities, and respect people and love people along the way. And that's what I mean by joy. So anyway, I'm looking forward to it very much. Um, I've been dabbling in this work a little bit on the side. And it's been super rewarding and it's been growing. And when you do that work uh, with a good, authentic, intentional purpose and people see that and they start asking for more of your time, you got to pay attention. And I'll tell you if there's one big lesson in my life that I know for sure is that oftentimes we have a dream, something we think we want for our life and our career and we go down that path, but the doors are hard to open and you keep knocking and they don't open and it's resistance and you're told no. Meanwhile, a friend over here says, hey, Jesse, could you help me on this? And, and if I pay attention to that still small voice and I go there and I look at that and it's easy and that leads to another opportunity and leads to another opportunity, those doors are opening wide and this is the path we should go. And it changes our thinking about our purpose in life and the work we're meant to do. And this has been abundantly true for me in my life journey. Jesse, we appreciate you coming on the show today. We are running out of time. Why don't you show folks uh, how they can get in touch with you? And we'll put the links below. Um, what's the best way for folks to reach out? Website coming soon this week, depriestconsult.com. Super awesome. fancy name. 
jessedepriestconsult.com. You can always look me up on LinkedIn, Jesse DePriest, you'll find me. Uh, and uh, yeah, just reach out. Love to hear from you. Here's what I, can I finish with a thought? Sure, please do. You know, oftentimes we have these conversations and unfortunately we pick on the leadership too much, maybe. And I think if we're doing our job well as a transformation coach, we also, maybe more importantly, need to help our leaders in, in get empathetic with them because they got a tough damn job, right? Leadership is a tough job. And we got to be careful how much we criticize leaders in these organizations because sometimes they don't know. They don't know a better way. And it's our jobs to show them and guide them towards that better way, but also having some, you know, authentic um, compassion and empathy for what the leader is struggling with and help them through that, that we don't just automatically throw them under the bus that they're doing it wrong. Okay. So that, that's my, that's my message. Um, keep after it, fellas. Well, thank you, Jesse. What a great word to share with everybody. Uh, for all of you out there in YouTube land, thank you for joining us and Jesse DePriest. Goodbye, everybody. How many lean, lean Six Sigma black belts does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> How many lean transformational coaches does it take to change a light bulb? Jake, do you know? How many? Just one. Just one. But the light bulb has to really, really want to change. <laughs>